Welcome to another edition of Rebellion Resources Educational Video Series. Today we're excited to sit down with a language expert, David McLeod, who is going to talk to us today about a very interesting universal language called Occidental. First released in 1922, this language has the potential to make human interaction on this planet more seamless, more efficient, and as many people know, though English is the predominantly used language in business, uh, it's, a, it's a very imperfect language. It has a lot of, uh, I don't want to say, you know, stupid parts, but parts that make it hard to understand. And um, I think, uh, David, why don't you uh, start us off by giving us some background here. Hi there. So, uh, yeah, uh, English is, uh, you know, it's been doing a, you know, a good enough job as an international language. Like, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with it compared to any other natural language because, uh, you know, they all have their foibles. But uh, it definitely hasn't been planned to be uh, an international language. It's actually, it's, you know, it's not bad. It's got the, uh, the, the Germanic side and then it's got, uh, you know, a whole bunch of French and Latin vocabulary. But uh, it hasn't been uh, made into a system like, uh, like a language like uh, Occidental has. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, that language was uh, created back uh, almost 100 years ago, back in 1922. And it was actually made by uh, a guy in Estonia. It was a, uh, a German officer of the Navy, of the Russian Navy. And he spoke uh, uh, German, uh, you know, English, uh, Russian, of course, because he was living in Imperial Russia at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he had, um, you know, access to um, pretty much all the main, like, uh, Indo-European language families to choose from. And he, uh, he came up with a system that took, uh, it took about 30 years to put together, where you kind of take the... Uh, <clears throat> Take the language you know, and um, you're able to kind of uh, use a, a system to derive all, all the common vocabulary that uh, that makes it really easy to understand if you're um, if you're coming from like a French background or an English background or Italian or something. And so it, it kind of looks like um, looks like easy English to an English speaker, easy French to a French speaker, and it it well, starts out as like it looks like a language. Like author David, when you say easy. Can you give some type of percentage discount? So if, you know, learning Spanish takes X, how long will it take to learn Occidental? Uh, it's usually, the people estimate it's about 10 times easier. Uh, they did a study back in the, in the 1970s on, um, on these, uh, these students in uh, Switzerland, because uh, Switzerland's always been big for Occidental, because during the war is one of the one of the few places they were actually able to uh, you know keep keep up the uh, the propagation of the language. Mm-hmm. And these uh, these students took about thirty hours to learn it. Um, that being said, they they already knew a few languages because you know Swiss people know like three or four languages. So ideally, if you if you're starting with a few with a few languages and you're uh, you know you're or, um, somebody who, who speaks a few, then uh, it'll take you about 30 hours. If you don't, it's probably three to 500 hours, I think. Like sure. worst case scenario is, is a few hundred hours compared to a natural language, which goes into the thousands. Gotcha, gotcha, wow. So, you know, it's uh, offers a potential for human interaction to be much more seamless. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a great way for, uh, you know, global trade to become much more efficient. Uh, well, would you say that if this language doesn't take off, will English stay as a predominant language going forward? Uh, apparently, English is going to be, uh, like if you look at the, at the British Council, they, uh, they released a, a report called English First, that was about 10 years ago. 
think it's called English First. They're talking about the future role of English, and it's going to be the first among equals. That's what they called it. So it'll, you know, it'll for at least the next fifty years, it'll be the number one language. But it won't also, you know, encapsulate the whole globe. Uh, it's going. They're going to still be, you know, strongly regional languages. Um, uh, Chinese is obviously going to be spoken in China and, you know, Russia, Russian is still, you know, strong in places like Kazakhstan and all, all the places where How it used to be. How did you get so excited about this language? Sorry, what's that? How did you get so excited about this language? Oh, uh, well, that goes back to 2005. I started uh, getting into the idea of these, of these languages. And um, the main one, you know, everybody knows Esperanto. That uh, actually the guy that created Occidental was one of the first uh, Esperantists. And uh, he, uh, so he was kind of involved in the creation of it a little bit too. And then he, he went on to his own. So anyway, in 2005, I started, um, started with Esperanto and then uh, found a, a reform of that reform of Esperanto, got into that for a while. And I started experimenting with one after another. And they have varying degrees of, um, there's like artificiality on one side where you take like a, a system, um, you know, every noun has to end with an O, for example, and you have like this really rigid system. And then on the other side, you have the, uh, the natural, the more natural languages where they try to have like a natural appearance as, as natural appearance as possible. Yeah. And then, uh, Occidental is kind of like right in the middle, trying to get like a synthesis of, uh, regularity and, uh, and naturalness. So, you know, with a knowledge of two languages, 30 hours, uh, 100 to 500 hours with only one language. Of yeah. Uh, that's pretty great. I, uh, you know, uh, what about, uh, you know, for instance, like Latin? I, I haven't taken yeah. it in 20 years or Hebrew. I took Hebrew for a decade, but then I haven't taken it since 1999. Uh, oh, okay. You know, so, you know, uh, whereas, you know, French, you know, sure, I still speak, but, you know, not mm -hmm. often. Uh, so you think for me, 100, 150 hours to learn this? I think so. Yeah, it wouldn't take you very long if you have a Latin background, um, French and Latin. Uh, Occidental kind of looks like uh, simplified Latin. Uh, it uses a lot of the same rules. Like, you know, uh, you know you've got words like uh, explode becomes explosion. You have like a D to an S change. Explode, mm -hmm. um, explosion. That's what it becomes in Occidental. Um, or... Um, Let's see what's another one like uh, allusion, which comes from allude, which is also a D, you know, ends with a D. So in Occidental, it's alluder, allusion. So the D becomes an S. So it has these uh, these rules where you can um, kind of like experiment with it a little bit yeah. and kind of uh, usually you, you you make up words that end up being the words that you already know in mm -hmm. a sense. Yeah. Um, another good example. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard the word uh, losery which means uh, the, uh, it's kind of like the, uh, you don't use it much in English, but it means like the, the state of mind of a player when he goes into a game is like a, a losery kind of state of mind. And in Occidental, that's, that's regular. The, the word to, uh, to play is luder, which becomes uh, lusor, which is a player. And then you put an I on the end to make it an adjective and it becomes lusori. So when you look at a word like losery, it looks like really... Uh, you know, high level and academic in English, but in, if you know Occidental, it just looks like playery. Like there's no, uh, no. Oh, I, I see, I see how the, the conjugation relates to Latin. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. I see how then it's, it's an easier one to, to learn. Definitely. Well, yeah. It's like learning, simplified Latin. Pretty much. I, I noticed you're a, an expert in both Korean and Japanese. Uh, yeah. I live in Korea and used to live in Japan. Oh really? Where in Korea do you live? 
and right in the capital in Seoul. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're uh, and we're building research. We're we're big fans of uh, uh, Korea and Japan and uh, China. Many of our students are from uh, Korea, Japan, and China. So um, okay, you know, uh, yes, uh, wonderful country. I'm a big fan too. Uh, yes, um, but how how are you know, you're going to get this language to become uh, universally accepted. What what is what is your you know your method uh, going forward? Well, here in uh, I actually uh, I've been in Korea for about 20 years, and so when I first started studying these languages, I was already living here, and I was the the thing at the fo- at the foremost of my mind is uh, can I also promote this language here? Yeah. Uh, will Koreans uh, ever be interested in it? And um, so that that was when I was looking at the. Uh, you know, the super artificial ones, then the super naturalistic ones. And the, uh, the artificial ones didn't look like uh, they would really appeal to the average Korean because they like, uh, you know, they like uh, English, they like, uh, you know, cool European languages. And they're, they're, they really like the idea of, uh, of uh, I guess, the Occidental culture. Um, and, um, and then on the other side, you have the, the really naturalistic ones that are maybe too hard. They, some of them bring in gender, um, like, you know, male, female, neuter gender and, and all of the, uh, the baggage that comes with that. And, uh, so, uh, so Occidental is kind of, um, one way to promote it is, um, it's a language where, you know, right now there are maybe two, 300 people use it, but it's also understandable by a billion and about a billion people. And, you know, e- 